If we can get you to gather, that would be very nice. They're handing out sheets. We mean those sheets to be for all. What's that? You didn't get hit by lightning. Okay. I'll keep your name out of the sermon. Does everybody have a sheet? Made 120 of them. If you'd like two sheets to give to a friend or just say so. On the back is my wife's name, phone number for pie baking, and we like to circulate that as much as possible. Everybody have one? Okay, thanks a lot, guys. We have just about enough time for a closing prayer, and then we'll be on our way. <laughs> this, is, this is rough, this, this service in Bible class. Let's have our opening prayer. From Psalm 98, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. This was the antiphon for the psalm for today. We pray, O God, Heavenly Father, who through your Son has promised us your Holy Spirit, send down upon us that same Spirit, that he may teach us to show forth your praise, not only here on earth in weakness, since we know your power and glory only from afar, but also in power and glory on that day when united with the choir of angels, we shall see you face to face. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Well, I have no idea whether we're going to be able to get to all the things I have down here. It's going to require me to omit several anecdotes I had planned on. And uh, I don't notice anyone protesting. I... I started off because the first thing that came to my mind in with this being the seventh word, and in that sense, it was the word of his death, that in the 60s and 70s, and many of you, I'm sure, are acquainted with this, uh, particularly if you worked in hospitals caring for people, in clinical settings, this uh, Elizabeth Kiebler Ross, I couldn't put the umlaut on the U there, uh, Keebler Ross, the, the, a lot of workshops. I was doing postgraduate work at uh, seminary in St. Louis from uh, 71 to 73, and they had a, a workshop on campus, and sh she presided at it. And it, it was a very helpful thing for people who work in clinical settings, hospitals, doctors, pastors, um, Christian counselors, um, and, and certainly people in hospice care that there are five stages of dying. If you've ever attended a loved one who, who died after uh, suffering and long illness. Denial and isolation, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And I put that last remark down, not to be facetious, this applies only if you don't die in an accident. Because sudden death always is uh, sudden with a capital S. So I ask the question that if, if these have legitimacy, at what stage does a Christian's faith come into play? 
one of those groups again. Yes, please, Penny. Yeah. And, and, and I ask that because I really do think any number of people think the Christian faith comes into play when you're arranging for the funeral. And uh, I used to get this a lot in California where I'd be asked to, to conduct a funeral. This man was a Lutheran and he had come from Iowa. I was, oh, did he come out recently to live with a child? No, he's been here for 40 years. And uh, uh, there was something about California that gave you permission to cut those ties from your, your community back in the Midwest of going to church. And I, I finally kind of came up with the policy that if I couldn't minister to them with pastoral care during their, their lifetime somewhere, toward the end while they were dying, or that, that I wouldn't do the funeral. Because uh, I think we do have to speak the language of Zion in certain of these things. Now, there's one thing to be, I think we often pick up uh, the death of a loved one for someone who is a member of the parish and that loved one had no pastoral care and so we try to help along that way. But uh, these kind, you know, I, I suspect you could make a living as a pastor just by doing weddings and funerals. I, I don't think you'd have to step outside that. Okay, so it, it applies to all stages and actually, it, 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 it applies to uh, minus one, minus two, minus three, and four, and five. It, it comes before the uh, Christian faith is a way of life, and it is uh, not just uh, something to acknowledge existence of. I, I hear that too. Um, he doesn't come to church, but he does believe in God, and that's an oxymoron, really because it means the gifts of God are not necessary to, for, for him or her to live life. So what they're, they're saying is they acknowledge the existence of a God and it is the acknowledgement of a Christian God uh, in, in that tradition. Now, whether they have saving faith or don't, I don't get to say. Uh, Walter Burghardt, um, tell the next generation a theology, Christian theology of death. And I've given a short quote, and I want to read another one. Death is that unique point between time and timelessness when the spirit of Christ, the spirit of life, can finally take complete possession of me, permanent possession, without my earthbound resistance, when the Christ who is life finally fashions me, uh, fashions me finally to his life in his image. So from our seventh word, Luke 23, verse 46. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I think uh, the three most important words in there is Father, commend, and spirit. Jesus addresses uh, God, Father, and I expected to go to the Greek text and find the Aramaic for father, which is Abba. Um, and it was the polite, formal, respectful form for addressing father in the hour of his death. And you, you can see that the trouble that has followed me since I wrote out uh, Led thank you letters as a kid. I always start with big writing and then I end up using too much space. 
when I transliterated that and just put it into English, pater comes out like the Latin pater. And that's okay, except I wanted to quote Greek to you. And uh, uh, pater is the vocative for pater. And uh, that just means the, the form of address. So he says, Father, Reverend. Martin Franzman, um, whom has been uh, seen in the margin comments more and more this past year, uh, particularly his book of sermons, Ha Ha Among the Trumpets, uh, was a prof at the seminary, had come not too long before I came in 1956. And he was uh, a profound theologian and a word craftsman. He has written a number of hymns, if you'll uh, notice. He wrote the seminary hymn. Uh, he was asked to write that for the uh, convocation of uh, baccalaureate and commencement, one of his early springs in St. Louis. And he wrote, Thy strong word did cleave the darkness. And he always wrote in the polite forms, in what we'd say the, the old-fashioned, antiquated forms. And admittedly, the King James Version is... Uh, not even very readable in uh, the Pauline epistles, particularly Romans, except when, when you get to, and I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor things present nor things to come, that then you have to revert to the old English because the poetry of that is at least half of its strength. But uh, Martin was asked in for, uh, for the 450th anniversary, and I had graduated by this time. I read it in... Uh, uh, what, uh, what did I say? It's funny. Usually people don't laugh when I say a joke. No. <laughs> this, this was the 450th anniversary of the Reformation. And uh, they asked him to write a hymn. Now, they were starting to work already on the uh, new hymnal and service book. And so everything was in process to change thou to you and thine to your and all of those things which leaves us with some of the clumsy, clumsy uh, translations, or I should say the clumsy wording of, of some of the hymns in LW, because in order to m change the pronoun from uh, the formal Old English into contemporary English, you often had to change the rhyme, but still retain the meaning. And it, in some, the case of some hymns, it was a bust. Uh, so he had submitted this hymn, and it had a lot of uh, thous and these in it. And the committee wrote him back and said, Dr. Franzman, we want this to be a contemporary rendering, and we, we'd like you to uh, rework this and uh, remove the these and the thous. And uh, Martin, you can never tell whether he liked you or disliked you. He was very unemotive. Uh, took his time and then wrote a note back. He said, gentlemen, perhaps you need to get someone else to write this hymn for you. I do not address God as you, even in my private devotions. He is always thou. At that time, Martin Buber's I Thou was a very popular book. And he talks about how we have some thous in our lives and they are the most significant. And uh, of course, you approach God that way. Uh, he is a thou, and he is not a you. Now, I, I wouldn't want to fight over it, I guess, but it, uh, it, it came back to me, that thought. 
as I expected the familiar term Abba, Aramaic, and because of this intense uh, intimacy of suffering that Jesus shared with the Father in Gethsemane and there on the cross, and I found the, the reverent uh, formal form for Father. Okay, so there below in Hebrew, in, in Aramaic and Greek is Abba, and then uh, the, the Hebrew rendering. Uh, Ara, uh, Aramaic was a spoken language much more than it was a written language, and of course it d doesn't look anything like Hebrew. It looks more like uh, Iraqi language that we see. Let's look at Mark 14. Well, I, I, we won't because of the time. Those are instances where uh, we are invited to call God Abba because of the adoption of sons mentioned in Galatians 4, 4 to 7. Uh, you may turn to that. I'm going to quickly. You can see we're really going to run out of time. Ruzik will probably just make me teach next Sunday. Galatians 4, 4 to 7. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Uh, and I, even in referencing that, I had forgotten. It's, it's the spirit who, who puts that word in our mouth. In uh, Romans 8, Paul says that the, Rome, uh, the, the spirit takes our groanings in prayer and translates them into prayer that he brings before the throne of the Father. So apart from the adoption of which Paul speaks, and it's this little idea from Newhouse, the parenthesis N. Apart from the adoption of which Paul speaks in Galatians 4, we could not presume to address God so, that is, as Abba. But the Spirit uh, cries out in our behalf, Abba, dear Father. I heard one pastor say that Abba really meant something more like Daddy. Uh, I hope he's still not preaching. <laughs> that does not mean daddy. Okay. Um, Luke alone gives us this seventh word from the cross. Luke 23, 46. Hauerwas. These last words of Jesus before his death. Name his willingness to embrace the ice-cold silence of hell. Sheol in the Old Testament or Hades, um, refer to 1 Peter 4.6. Let's do that. Little slippery to find, but not impossible. Use your index. Never fake it. 1 Peter 4, verse 6. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, 
so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Three words, Father, commend, and spirit. Uh, They are to be judged by God, live before God in regard to the spirit. Um, The word for soul and the word for spirit in both Hebrew and Greek seem to weave in and out of one another. Or the Hebrew, the total being belonged to God. Body, soul, spirit. And you'll see that, uh, that, that concept carried through in the writings of Paul. Uh, since your body belongs to God, it is his temple, how can you defile it? in uh, some of the behaviors that the Corinthians were in, involved in. And, uh, but it's not just the body, as he points out in 1 Corinthians 12, in the, the uh, uh, metaphor he uses of the body in relation to the church, the body of Christ. If one member of the body hurts, then the spirit hurts. Uh, if you've ever seriously injured your big toe, you know the whole rest of you feels bad. And there's that strange kind of unity in in the body and therefore also the blessed unity that is in the church so that uh, we share one another's sorrow, we rejoice in one another's joy. Uh, But as far as what what Christ was saying here precisely, I don't think we want to press the nuances of soul and spirit too much. Longer, I went on doing some lexical study on, on spirit in Greek, pneuma. And if you could see that transliterated into English, you would see the first six letters of the beginning of pneumonia, which uh, affects your breath. Um, is that the, the Holy Spirit, the spirit is the breath of God in me. That's what I'm breathing, is God. And to have the holy pneuma, the Holy Spirit, means that God's life is in me. Interestingly enough, did I put that down here? No, I didn't. It's on my notes. Uh, I want to say it right. Ex epnoisen is what uh, the last word of Luke 23, 4, 6 is. Ex meaning out, uh, and the verb form for uh, pneuma, epnoisen, means breathed out. And if I would pretty much write those Greek words into English, I would get the word expire. Um, Common clinical word used in hospitals. Um, The patient in 201 expired. Uh, There probably is a necessity not to get more personal when you're rendering care to someone because I I would think medical people would get chewed up by getting so close to someone and uh, oftentimes seeing death and and feeling like there's maybe more I could have done. expiring is to breathe out. And, and hence I chose on that understanding of spirit. It's the breath of God in me. 
And this is what Jesus breathed out and therefore died. In the early church, there were a number of heresies going around. And one was that Jesus was just a holy man, a godly man. The other was is that he was just a manly God. Uh, so in the case of a godly man, the resurrection is always in question, not the crucifixion. In the case of a manly God, the crucifixion is in question. He didn't really die. And hence, during the Age of the Enlightenment, some of these theories came up. He swooned, which is a way of saying he kind of fainted. Uh, they had no stethoscopes, and uh, probably were in a hurry that day. And so he was put in the grave, and the coolness of the tomb revived him, and so forth. So they have these heresies to deal with, but to breathe out your last breath is to ex epnazen, to breathe it out, and you really are dead. Uh, I don't think the euphemisms for death are really very helpful. The rose has climbed over the wall. Uh, some of these things I've read, uh, no, he's, he died. He, he's dead. Uh, deceased, uh, maybe, is, is as euphemistic as we want to be. Because we no longer have breath in us. And what Jesus does is he assures us that we will live again. We will be breathing God's life again. Um, okay. Um, let's see where it takes. Now, this was the worry of the uh, Old Testament person, is that down in Sheol, God would forget them. And their, uh, everyone on earth would forget them. And it was the isolation of Sheol that was so frightening to them. So um, Peter says, you know, men judge us according to the body, but uh, we live and, uh, and are judged by God according to the Spirit. Uh, this is why uh, Jesus can say what he does in Revelation. Turn to Revelation 1, 17 and 18. You know, this is familiar to you. It's just a little ways from Peter. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now, this is with the seven lampstands and getting ready to talk to the seven churches. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one, the breathing God's breath one. I was dead. Behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades, or Sheol. I hold those keys and I unlock the prisoners. Someone brought up about the Descensus passage in the uh, Apostles' Creed last week. He descended into hell. That's in 1 Peter 3, 17. And I can't remember how uh, much Pastor elaborated on this. But he's talking about remaining faithful in the face of severe persecution. And then, so verse 17, it's better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now think of that thing in, in, in Revelation about holding the keys to Sheol. Uh, preached to the spirits in prison, and who were they? 
Those who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. They somehow become representative of all of those who have scoffed at God and rejected him. And uh, so he goes and preaches victory to them. Some theologians say, well, they, he, he went to redeem even them. Uh, You've got to be a little careful with this. It's very easy to get into the uh, uh, tradition of thinking about purgatory as an intermediary place to go. Um, and, and, and that has been a, a takeoff for that particular thing. Okay. Jesus' death meant his acceptance of the judgment that our sins required. So in Luke 22, 42, we're a couple minutes after 11, so I've got to move. Not my will, but thine be done. Our Father who art in heaven, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, uh, the cross and, and us, we're, we're, we're always kind of bouncing back and forth toward each other. Romans 6, 5, in baptism, you were buried with Christ and died to sin. And then the spirit that raised him from the dead raises you to live the new life. So if we are united in a death like his, Paul says in Romans 6, then we shall be united in a resurrection like his. Psalm 31, 3 to 5, and Psalm 13. Um, the Psalm 31 is the uh, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That, that's what Jesus was quoting. And then uh, Psalm 13 is kind of expressed. I have this in my own notes here. Um, We will suffer, we will die, but because of what Jesus has done on his cross, we will be able to die confidently praying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The place in the church here for the martyrdom of St. Stephen and the Holy Innocents, do you know what days those are? December 26th and December 28th. And interestingly, the church thought it worthwhile to understand that the rejoicing of the birth of this child who breathes out his last in behalf of us is always couched in the memory of those who have lost their life for the sake of this child. The martyrdom of uh, Peter and then the martyrdom of the holy innocents. Well, I wanted to get into some other things you can see there. Uh, there's a Latin phrase, the finite is capable of holding the infinite. Um, but I'm afraid that last sentence maybe is, is, a, is a fitting sentence. It is finished, but it is not over. We have yet to follow. We are going home to the waiting Father. And that's what the word commend means exactly what you probably thought. Uh, to give yourself over to someone's care and protection. Commendation in that way. In the new words of the funeral liturgy, there's the commendation. Lord, receive one of the lambs of your fold. And it, it's called the commendation. It's kind of uh, the way the church in faith then commends this one for protection and care to the Almighty. I would love to have gotten into a discussion with you on what death is. Um, but maybe I'll have a chance to do that sometime.
probably been a little disjointed. I, I apologize. This is such a, a rush, about 20, 25 minutes. Let's close with the Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for your patience and forgiveness in the way we had to operate.